What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Well, today we continue our series on foods from the Bible. We started by looking at Jesus, who is called the bread of life. After feeding 5,000 people, the crowds keep chasing after him, and he says, Stop going after food that fills the belly. Instead, work for the food that brings eternal life. We saw how sharing Jesus with the world brings that kind of life, and many folks from Grace are doing just that. Last week, we looked at meat offered to idols. I know it sounds like a strange topic, but in it was packed this incredible insight in how we treat others. When we know the truth, uh, but a brother or sister in Christ doesn't understand it, we have to consider that. We can't just bulldoze our way, assured of our own righteousness, but breaking relationships in doing so. He ends with, be imitators of Christ. Wise words for sure. And now today we look at one last story from the Bible that is all about food. This one is from the book of Acts. And the whole book is the story of how the apostles began to share the story of Jesus with the whole world. There were fabulous miracles and death-defying stunts. Uh, just before today's passage, the apostle Paul was being chased and he had to be lowered down from the city wall in a basket to avoid murder. Uh, the disciple Peter healed a man who was paralyzed for eight years. Then after that brings uh, a beloved saint, Tabitha, back to life. All this leads up to Acts chapter 10. Uh, and Joe is going to read that for us today. Here is Cornelius, a centurion, who is in charge of 100 men and would be like a captain today. He seems like a good man, giving money to the poor, but he's what was called back then a God-fearing man. He lives the right way, but he has not converted to Christianity. At least, not yet. Then the scene switches to the disciple Peter, who is hungry and having a vision from God. Let's listen to the story of Cornelius and Peter's vision, and we'll tie the two stories together at the end. This is Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended to as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who had spoken with him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him, and after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large seat coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, 
for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again, a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. And from James chapter 4, verses 8 and 10, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, may we be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Give us wisdom as we listen for your voice regarding what we eat, what we don't eat, and how we are called to treat one another. In Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, when I was growing up, my parents decided they were going to have the whole family start eating a healthier diet. Now, this wasn't just any diet, though. This was the Bible diet. Uh, maybe you've heard of these before. They are lists of all the right foods you are supposed to eat, the ones God intended you to eat, not the garbage with fat and sugars we usually eat. This was the stuff that was in God's plan from the very beginning. Of course, you had to buy their books and videos to know what the diet actually was. If you just read the Bible for yourself, you could come up with all sorts of lists. There's the Genesis diet, the Daniel diet. You could even go true native to the Hebrew Bible and eat clean with kosher foods. To say this Bible diet didn't go well in our house would be an understatement. If it didn't have sugar in it, us kids weren't interested. I have distinct memories of my older brother asking to go to the bathroom multiple times during dinner. Only later did we discover that he had been sneaking his Bible food out with him and flushing it down the toilet. He was trying to clear his plate so he could leave dinner. I also recall the total disdain uh, uh, with how meat was replaced by lima beans. And my children will tell you, I am still complaining about my mother's lima beans 30 years later. It is the only food that I will still not eat no matter what. Uh, the, uh, I will not eat them all thanks to the Bible diet. I'm sure you have foods you crave or others you refuse to eat, and that might be enough to make you pause and ask, are there some foods that I should eat and others that I should not? Does God care what we eat? Though some would lead you to believe there really is an ideal diet in the Bible, it's interesting to note that the only place where there is clear instruction in what you should and shouldn't eat is in the Jewish dietary restrictions. If someone is telling you the Bible tells you to eat some foods and not others, and they aren't referring to kosher laws, I'd be on the lookout for what book they're trying to get you to buy or what advertising revenue they're generating. Most of these things are scams. The Jewish diet is the only prescribed diet in the Bible all the way until Acts chapter 10. So you might be wondering, uh, what are those kosher laws? You may have heard a, a complicated set of rules for what is okay and not okay to eat. But really, it's quite simple. One, only certain kinds of animals are allowed to be eaten. Two, meat must be processed appropriately. And finally, three, Meat and milk can never be mixed. 
Now, what makes it complicated is not the biblical law. What makes it complicated is the application, which is written in the Talmud and the Mishnah. Uh, there you'll find hundreds and hundreds of rules that are followed by many conservative Jews. Uh, I've heard it described as a fence around the law. These rules are even more strict than the Bible law to make sure you never, ever break God's rules. Uh, one nugget I found since 2008, giraffes have been declared kosher. If you wanted to drink giraffe milk, that is perfectly acceptable. How about that? Uh, now, after knowing what is okay and not okay to eat, you might follow up with this. Why are some foods okay and some are not? People have had all kinds of speculations about this. Some say there is a rational explanation for every law, but we just haven't figured them all out yet. Others say it's meant to be symbolic. Some things need to be unacceptable as a way to test our devotion to God. So these dietary laws don't have to make sense. We just have to follow through to obey God. Another thought is that there is a mystical, divine connection between us and animals. Whenever we act in a holy way, God's divine action is increased on this planet. The more holy we act, the more good is released on earth. Still others would point to the medical benefits of our diet. Some foods are healthier than others. One researcher even measured the growth of seedlings supplemented with clean and unclean meat extracts. In this one experiment, the clean meat won hands down over the unclean. You can also point to hygiene. Clean food means less germs and better health. But all these different options are contested. They have their strengths and weaknesses as arguments, but I'd like to offer just one more possibility. This one comes from Jacob Milgram, a brilliant rabbi who died a few years ago. Uh, he believed that all of the dietary laws were about one thing, ethical living. Milk and meat can't be mixed because babies need their mother's milk. To mix the two would be like saying a baby and its mother don't matter. Who cares if you kill mother and child? Some animals are okay to eat, not because there is virtue in their meat, but because there are other things we need too. Domesticated animals offer milk, wool, and skin, as well as the meat. So eating other kinds of animals who just have a little bit of meat and that's it would be a waste. That's not ethical. So only animals that have value in multiple ways are okay to eat. Finally, perhaps the most important dietary law and the very first one given to Noah and thus to all people everywhere, don't eat the blood. By killing animals for food, we could become desensitized to killing and lose our reverence for life. You see this in how kosher animals are killed as well. Only a few animals can be killed for food and they must be killed in a humane way. This reduces the dehumanization that can take place when we are around death, even of animals. I imagine this is very much what Peter has in mind when he falls into a trance from God. That's the word in Acts 10. It's ecstasis, which literally means change of place. It's an excitement and ecstasy that comes from his connectedness with God. In this trance, he sees a sheet come down from heaven, and on it are these animals. God says to kill them and eat them, but Peter is appalled. No, Lord, I would never eat an animal that is forbidden. I don't eat unclean animals. He's saying, I live ethically. I won't expose myself to a destructive way of living that desensitizes the soul. 
And God's response is, don't call unclean what God has called clean. The story of Cornelius continues where this centurion in the Roman army hears from God. This captain, he's in charge of a large group of men, and about half of all the recruits into the Roman army would eventually die. He is one of the lucky ones who has survived for years and risen to his rank. He likely has several more years of fighting he must do before he can earn free property from Caesar and retire in peace. So if there's anyone who would have been desensitized from killing and bloodshed, it's Cornelius. And yet watch what happens. Peter is asked to go to his home. This is a a foreigner and a soldier. God is for the Jews that accept Jesus, that is clear. But is God for the outsiders? For those who spill blood. Should he go to Cornelius' home? And Peter hears from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit speaks to him, go with these men. So he does. The next day when he arrives, he shares the most unbelievable sermon. He says, I now know God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to God. The Holy Spirit descends on the whole group. They pray in tongues and they are baptized. Except outsiders can't be baptized. They have to go through a whole process to become Jewish. And Peter just skips all of that. He does it because for the first time, he realizes that God has made known that the outsiders are not unclean. They are clean too and just as worthy as God's chosen ones. As Peter's vision reminds us that all food could be eaten in a moral way, so are all people potentially moral too. The standard for food was treat a few foods as sacred and ignore all the others. Now the standard is changed. Now all food must be treated as sacred too. The same is true for people. Before, just Jewish people were sacred and chosen of God, but now all people must be treated as sacred sacred. Everyone has the potential to be a child of God. So when you meet someone, are you going to ignore them because they aren't a Christian? Because they are mean and unethical? No, they have the same potential to be a Christ follower as you do. The job becomes doing everything we can to draw out the very best from everyone we meet. We want to inspire the best ethical living in others. We want them to know Jesus by our lives, by our love for them. Think of a little girl who was in vacation Bible school. Our VBS just started registering for the summer, and she came up to me. She's maybe in second or third grade, and she says, I still have the Bible verses memorized from last year's VBS. I said, you do? Tell me what they are. And she rattled them right off. Here I am, the pastor of the church, and I don't even have them memorized. She was inspired. She was drawn to God by the great work of all those volunteers. I worked in youth ministry for many years, and I used to be so proud of how many people had chosen to go into pastoral ministry and youth ministry from the groups that I led. I thought, yeah, look at me. I'm doing something right. Uh, They are inspired by me to minister. But it's taken me a lot longer than it should have to realize it's not me that did it. It's the whole group. 
It's everyone who loved them, who encouraged them, who saw something good in them and drew it out of them. That's why they are ministers today. I want to encourage you to do the same for someone else. How can you move from treating someone like an outsider, like someone that doesn't belong, and inspire them to draw closer to God? You could volunteer for vacation Bible school. You could join a small group. You could make a meal for a homeless person through Family Promise. Maybe it's even more simple than that. Maybe it's just inviting someone to come to church with you next Sunday. See, Peter realized that God made a way for everyone. It's not just a select few who deserve God's love. It's everybody. Now, that doesn't mean everybody is automatically good or that they are fine just the way they are. No, change needs to happen for all of us. But that change comes when we inspire each other, when we bless each other, when our lives line up with God's ethics so that we experience the fullness of life. If God has already declared that all animals are clean and our diet is not restricted except to that which is ethical, how do we translate that to people? One thing I think of is how we really show that someone else is valued and cared for. Uh, Perhaps the easiest and most obvious way to do that is to actively listen to someone. By hearing someone out we are saying, you matter. You can say it verbally, but so much more of what we say to others has no words in it whatsoever. Do you look at someone when they are speaking? Do you stay engaged with what they are saying? Do you try and connect with them when they mention something that interests you? Do you hold off on thinking about what you want to say back to them so you can fully hear them? That witty comeback doesn't really tell people you love them, does it? When you listen well, you include others. It's the first step in affirming what God has already said. God has declared them clean because they matter just like you matter to God. Let's end with this. Uh, Just Mercy is a book by Brian Stevenson that tells the story of the early days of his organization, the Equal Justice Initiative. He's a lawyer that has advocated for the poor, the imprisoned, and the wrongly condemned. One case he took on was that of Marsha Colby. Uh, In 2007, she was convicted of capital murder. Her crime? Giving birth to a stillborn baby. Of course, there is more to it than that. Marsha was 43 when she became pregnant, which put her in a high-risk pregnancy situation. Her family had been living in a FEMA trailer after their home was destroyed by Hurricane Ivan, and they were too poor to afford prenatal care for the baby. When her baby was stillborn, they arrested her. The state put together a faulty report that declared that the baby had been born alive. Even though at trial the evidence clearly supported Marcia's claims, no one would listen. She was convicted and sentenced to life in prison without parole. It was only because Brian Stevenson and his organization stepped in, heard her case, and decided that no one is as bad as the worst decision that they've made or even the worst thing they are accused of, that things began to change. After getting a judge to review the case and having the initial report re-examined, the state realized they had made a mistake. They had convicted an innocent person. 
After the review was completed, Brian's team was able to get Marsha released. She was able to go home to her husband and her two boys just before Christmas. This is just one of many stories of mercy shown to those who others say don't belong. The Equal Justice Initiative has gone on to help end capital punishment of children and life imprisonment of kids as young as 13 years old. They've even helped reduce the unfair punishment of the mentally ill. Literally hundreds of people have had their wrongful convictions and unfair sentences reversed because of his work. And why does Brian do all this? Why does he advocate for the outsider? It's because of his faith. He was raised in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, a sister church of United Methodists. It was in that church that he learned that people should be celebrated for standing up after having fallen down. Just because you fall doesn't mean you don't belong. Just because you come from somewhere else doesn't mean you aren't one of us. Just because you look different or smell different or believe differently doesn't mean you can't be made clean by God. You belong here. That's what Peter learned when the sheet of animals came down. That's what he learned when Cornelius, the outsider and foreigner, came for his help. So today, may you welcome in others and help them know that they belong, that they are made clean in Christ because God loves them and he is the one who declares them clean. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.